something stands for nothing A detached memory This one's about everything you don't think about until you sleep yeah. And this one's for nothing And this one's for fun And this one's about rock and roll and comic books and bubblegum All of a sudden the canoe starts rocking back and forth and I turn around just in time to see me standing up and he's got an axe and he comes down, boom! He's going to kill a fish but he puts, he misses the, well he chops the tail off the fish and puts the axe right through the fucking bottom of the canoe. Like, you know, then he pulls it up and it's a geyser, just like, fucking put it back, paddle for shore, like, oh, dude, you're such a... Really? Oh yeah, he's just... He was, he just... Right in the bottom of the, the canoe. Boom. Yeah, like a, <laughs> a three and a half, four inch, four and a half inch gash. About that wide. So then, you know, paddle back to shore and just like, well, now you've... And you were me. in the canoe. Yeah, we were both fishing. And it wasn't a big lake. It was a small lake, but we were in the middle of it. And, it, you know, fuck, we took on about five gallons of water by the time we paddled as fast as we could with the axe left back in the hole to sort of plug it. He goes, well, we need that canoe. I said, yeah. I said, no, we're going to have to fix it. So, I, so, I mean, I don't know what to do. I said, well, the first canoes were out of birch bark. So I said, let's find some birch bark that we can use as a patch. And I said, we'll need some some sap off of a pine tree or any coniferous tree. I said, so let's just start rummaging about on shore and and, you know, there's some birch trees there, so go peel off some birch, and I said, I'll get a stick, and so we got a bunch of sap and stuff, and, but, you know, the, at the bottom of the boat, the where the axe had gone through, so all the metal was like this, so I said, we're going to have to flip the canoe over, and then, but I said, you need to lay underneath it, and hold a, a rock, a flat rock up against it, so I can tap it down with the hammer, or the, you know, that the hammer part of the axe, the, the, the other side of the head, right? I said, I'll, I'll poke it down, but you got to hold the rock up there so we can get it sort of flat and bring the pieces together. So he, I made him lay under the canoe, and I said, you got the rock in place? He goes, yeah, so I sat on top of the canoe, and the body goes, oh, it's hot, I can't be under here, I just kept on, I made him stay under there for about 15 minutes, he's getting all freaked out. He's, Oh, no, bang, yeah, bang, yeah. Bang, the whole bang. He goes, it's too loud, I can't, my arms are like, give me that, well, you're staying in there, dude, you wrecked it, we got to fix it, right? And so we did, so then we got it, the metal was flat, there's a gap like, like that, you know, so we put that, all the pitch and, and resin off these trees and smeared it all over, and put a piece of birch bark on it. I knew he was going to lift off at one point, but I said, okay, now we, you know, now we got to do the same, I let him out, <laughs> we did the same on the inside, and then we used it, we used it the rest of the summer, it held, it leaked a little bit, but I mean, it wasn't a geyser, right, it was just a trickle, so we could go and get across these three lakes that we were on, but I mean, if, that's incredible, but if we didn't, I mean, we'd have to have another canoe flowing in or something, we had no real tools or, or how do you fix a canoe like that right but I'm just like well this will work 
<laughs> you know, I'm the early explorers would have fucking figured it out with what they had around them. So I just like, oh, sticky shit. It's all over the place. It's all over my clothes already. Every time you touch a tree, it's just like leaves sap and birch. It's pliable. You can pull it into thin layers. You don't need a thick layer. So it worked out perfectly. Wow. <laughs> Did you heat that? Did you heat up the sap? Did you do? Well, we just rubbed it back and forth. I mean, it was tricky getting it off, and it was in fall. It was like weather like this already, so it it didn't move around too much. But once we got the patch on there, then we just I remember rubbing with my hand just to get the warmth from my hand to warm it up underneath there, right? But of course, you know, then my hands were just like oh, full of covered, sap covered. and dirt. My hands weren't clean for about three months there. There. You know, from the start of this whole trip, I mean, I washed them every day, but you're just so filthy, you're in the bush, right? And you're always handling something that's either, you know, airboat related, which is mechanical and grease and oil, or or just dirt, you know, and your hands, you know, and you, you, I need a nail clipper. <laughs> Nails are horribly long, there's nothing but dirt and grease on the fuck you look like. You know, you go you're back. You're up there in oh, yeah. three months? Yes. Wow. No breaks. That's incredible. Well, I had lots of breaks. There's lots of breaks in the weather. Well, I mean, know. no, no, like, getting oh, I, out, I, coming I, back. Well, I came back to LaRange twice in that time, but I was, I would be up there for, I'd say my last stint was six weeks of just working every day for, and, and not even, going. And even if you're in LaRange, I mean, it's not a cosmopolitan kind of a place. no. no. It was a good reward. I remember one night going back into the, we came back into town to go to, go to the zoo, which was one of the two bars up there, and uh, there's probably like a hundred people in the bar, and it probably holds about three hundred. It's a pretty big bar, and uh, all of a sudden I hear someone say, "Hey Johnny, hey Johnny," and then like everyone, "Hey Johnny, hey," and look over, it's Johnny Cash. Johnny John, Cash. Johnny Cash with his entourage in he, the bar. And they, come up to Laurent all the time to fish. Every year they would come up there, right? And it was really cool. So he walks up, uh, one of the guides, one of the guides we had, you know, Johnny Cash eventually comes around to our table, you know, he knows Michael, our native guide, and, you know, starts talking to him, introduces him, <laughs> just like, oh, I know who you are. And, you know, what a pleasure, and da 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 And he's just really nice, and then he, and no one got up, no one's like, was bugging him or anything, but he walked around to every single table in there because everyone, everyone knew him, right? I mean, who doesn't know Johnny Cash, right? And even if he did, once someone said, that's Johnny Cash, well, fuck, he wanted him over there, right? But he, he took the time, probably about half an hour to go around to all these tables, and then he bought a round for everyone in the bar. You know, and then he sat down with his guys, and, and no one walked up to him and bugged him, and, you know, nothing like that. So I think he just felt this... It's a great place to be because as famous as I am, people aren't fucking clamoring or asking me questions or putting, you know, trying to find an angle or something. You know, like, I think people, celebrities sometimes feel like, okay, they just want a dirty story. They want this or they want that, you know. It's probably hard to find someone who just wants to say hi, shake your hand and leave it at that, you know. Share some time. Yeah, exactly, but... So he, he sat down with his pals, he sat there all night and no one bothered him, right? He got up a few times and he'd walk over to some of these people that he knew in the bar, remembered. And he, he'd been coming up there forever, fishing, right? Wow. Yeah, I thought, fuck, of course, that makes sense. Like, where do you go fish? Do you go somewhere where, I mean, they'll all know you, but 
a bunch of native people and northern people are probably, you know, if you went fishing somewhere really popular in a big city or something like that and you were in a ritzy lodge, well, fuck, you'd be like under the microscope type thing. I think that's the way he probably fucked. He just was totally relaxed and, you know. Well, that's what you want to do. I guess if you're a famous person, you know, you're known for really even just what you look like. Yeah, So it's like the minute somebody sees you and you're recognized, it must feel like uh, that it's like, oh, I'm, I'm back on the job. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, uh, there's an image, there's uh, an expectation yeah. or something. Everyone will be watching know. you. Like, yeah. <laughs> no. Because there's no, no, uh, you're not anonymous. Yeah. Not anonymous. Uh, if, you're a, if, you, if you're a famous painter, let's say, probably a lot less sort of recognition just in, in uh, yeah, yeah. general But you're society. Johnny Cash and you're the man in black and... You're easy to spot. It's going to be short. I won't be able to stay. I've got to be there at 12. Well, I think that gives us about 15 minutes. Perfect. Yeah. Here you go. So this is this. So this is the first time that we're recording one of our conversations. Don't you think? I don't think. Yeah, it, no, we haven't. We before. haven't done no. that before. So, uh, you know, does that change anything? Does it change anything? What recording? the fact that we're recording it now? Nah, because in about twenty seconds, once you get into a conversation, I forget that it's even, you know, being recorded. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> well, that goes for most things in my life, actually. Like. If I remember something for more than 20 minutes, that's pretty good. Yes. So uh, whether I'm being recorded or not is sort of not not really relevant. <laughs> I disavow any knowledge of that conversation. Oh, no, we recorded it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that's a big reason why, like, why I write things down. So I can remember them. Um, and sometimes if you have a good idea, you, you want to be able to remember it. So it's good to be able to have a record of it. Totally. If I don't write it down, I don't remember it. So, And I don't write a lot of stuff down that I wish I did because I'm just like, I had such a... How was I going to solve this problem? I had the answer yesterday and I it had something to do with this or that, but I, I didn't write it down. And now I'm you know, starting from square one again. I've got a bit of a hint but if I would have wrote it down it would have been so simple right I took some measures I didn't write them down why didn't I do that yeah so yeah writing everything down is a way forward for me <laughs> otherwise I spin my wheels lots well each day I for something yeah but none of it'll last unless you you take the reins take them from the night push the pawn right through the past and this one's for the silence And the questions that it brings And the smell of time and the reverence And the possibilities Well, I 
radio voice on? Is that what you're saying? I think I do. I think I have my radio voice on. Lindsay, stop fussing. They can't see you. It's a podcast. Quit doing your hair. Okay. (laughs) Don't have any more egg in my beard, do I? (laughs) No, you're good there. It's a good thing we're not we're not being viewed. Yeah. Remember that time we were at Dianzi's? The first time. I kind of want I kind of want that to be on record that you and I were the first ones <laughs> on the patio at Dunenzi's. Yes. And we were, I was later told by uh, one of the owners. She said, "That's great. Don't ever stop." She goes like, "That's perfect for that outdoor spot. That's what it should be." So I really feel like we we did the proper thing for sure. Yeah, broke that uh, broke broke. The it's gonna happen sooner or later. Yeah. What and what a great place, hey! I love that venue. Have you been Have you been there quite a bit? You're that's right in your neighborhood. There's live music there. No, I haven't caught any. Just the that second time we went back to that party uh-huh. for uh, Zach's night there. That's the only time I've been back. No, I, I stopped in. Uh, this summer one time there was a, a Vespa scooter club meeting there. I was I stopped, I was riding my bike home and I pulled in there and I mean man. I met those guys the same weekend yeah. at, at the downtown Dunenzies. Yes, I think we talked that we'd both seen these guys. I've got pictures on my phone. Yeah. There were some sweet rides there. Holy cow. Really was. Yeah. I was confused though, because you know, the personality of a guy that's on a moped, let's say, yeah. is different than the personality of a guy typically that's on a motorcycle or, or something like that. Totally. You know, and yeah. and or with pickup trucks, you don't have guys who come, generally speaking, from all kinds of different places for a weekend to drive around in their pickup trucks. It doesn't happen. <laughs> no. These guys came from all over Canada, I think. And, and was, even the Northwest. Yeah, Pacific Northwest. Pretty phenomenal. That is uh, one of the guys I talked to there. He had, it was like a racing vest, but it was modded bodywork and it had a tuned exhaust pipe. I could tell it was a fast bike. And him and his pal drove him up on a trailer, in a truck and trailer, but they had a third person along who didn't have a scooter so that they could drop it off in the mount. They could get dropped off in the mountains with their scooters and they did, a, I think, two hours of riding through the mountains, and they said it was just, like, phenomenal, right? Without having to do a whole 10-hour trip on a scooter, they did two hours through some of the nice twisties and curves and the most scenic stuff, and they said it was... Twisties and curves, mountains? Yeah. On their scooter? Yeah. How wow. would that be? Wow. That's a good way to go. And you're right about, you know, peop- you wouldn't find people in half-tons getting together, scooter guys. I mean, motorcyclists do, but even... You know, when I owned BSAs, British Bikes, or Harleys, and my friends then, and then when I when I moved to scooters, scooters were, I just found them to be more, the scooter people were more, I'd say, innovative. You know, they they wanted to do more, their, their bikes, their scooters were more utilitarian. They liked them for the same reasons I did. It had a floorboard, and you could put a case of beer there instead of trying to figure out how you strap it to your you know, twenty five, thirty five thousand dollar motorcycle, but there's no place to put a box of beer. 
But on a scooter, you always have that floorboard, you know? You put a bag of groceries, a box of beer, just cradle with your feet, right? That's true. And so I was just like, yeah, that's why I ride a scooter. And those people just seem to be more do-it-yourselfer. And I had, I, I think when I lived in Vancouver, I, I owned a, a scooter. I think it must have been, in my opinion at the time, because I've always been more of a motorcycle guy. So to get a scooter, it was interesting. I got the, it was a 1981 Honda Passport. Not the, it was the 70, Passport okay, 70. Yeah, yeah. And it had a down tube, you know. Yeah. And they, and they, but and angled. Yeah. So you had to, you had to, it wasn't a total step through. Uh, it, was, it was a bit, it was a bit of a step over, but not motorcycle. Yes. Right. No, no tank. No tank. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and, oh, and, I know. And, you know, those things, what a dime. You know, just a little bit of gas. And and I'll tell you, you just forget about that thing. Whatever it's doing, it's it's doing a lot of things. A lot of things. It had the spoked wheels, you know. But you lose you you lose uh, a sight of the of the fuel consumption. You forget about it, and you just I became like uh, well, you, it's just phenomenal. They they give you access to so much more. Well, They're yeah, more than just transportation. They are, because the motorcycle, like when I had my scooter and I worked downtown as a hairdresser, I used to drive my scooter up on the sidewalk in the morning, and i put my bicycle cable around a parking meter, and I'd lock it up, and I never once got a ticket, but it's got a license plate on it, it's got a, you know, it, it's a road vehicle, but same thing when i drive up on the sidewalk, i just turn it off, and I'd be coasting down the sidewalk, and, you know, a mom come out of a store with a kid, but they wouldn't be... Like, what's this guy on a motorcycle do? If you saw someone on a motorcycle yeah. down the, going on the sidewalk, you'd wonder, you know, what's going on? You can't do that. But on a scooter, they're, yeah. they're viewed as harmless, right? Or, right. You know, you, really? You, yeah. I, that's what I always felt. I always yeah. thought people would smile when they see me. If they saw a motorcycle do that, they'd be bitching and cursing, right? They'd probably be a little upset. Because everybody knows a guy on a motorcycle on the sidewalk is probably out to molest you. <laughs> Don't you think? Yeah, you know, the, the scooters are just way more... There was always something like that tough guy, that rough guy persona on guys. Especially guys in the 70s, you know. Guys in 70s on the on the motorcycles, they were... You had... Like, the motorcycles, they weren't very reliable. No. They weren't as reliable. Those guys were do-it-yourselfer because they, yeah. you had to yeah. to go anywhere. You had to be able to pull out wrenches and fix it halfway to where you were going. <laughs> Yeah. You know, especially Harleys and old British bikes. I mean, they all, they all leaked oil. You know, the chains always needed tightening and, you know. And Do you remember it was a big deal when the Japanese came over? Like, especially like, well, I remember the Honda 754. Because I ended up owning a whole bunch of those in different times. But they were so reliable. Oh, yeah. Well, they, they absolutely changed it for... Everyone. And a lot of people had a problem with that. They're like, well, that's not a real, that's not real motorcycling. I would beg to differ. It all depends what you want to do. Be a motorcycle rider or a motorcycle mechanic. Right. Or both. I just want to be a motorcycle rider. I like to work on stuff, but I wouldn't want to have to work on it just to get to where I want to go. But don't you think, now tell me if I'm wrong. You're riding an old motorcycle and you know it, it you're listening all the time. Because you know it's just something's going to go. You just It's a matter of what and when. And so you do you ride the bag off of that thing, you know, 
and uh, and just try to get the most out of the miles that you're gonna get, or you know, do you lay back and just kind of nurse it? You know, I'm I'm gonna go low and slow, you know, or you say, you know, I got the wrenches. I'm really quick at doing whatever it is, adjusting <laughs> shims, you know, replacing spark plugs, fixing a flat, replacing a spoke, you know, yeah. all those things. Whenever I rode fast bikes, I always scared myself. So I would, now I would pick the slow, go slow route. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to break it. I wouldn't want to have to fix it, you know, just because I got the most out. I'd rather get the most out of it mileage wise and, and, you know. Well, and a lot of that too is I think when you're younger, you don't, you don't know that things can break. Yes. That's part of it. I think I know it was for me yeah well on a farm you would have seen lots of things broke and and you would have fixed it so you're probably the perfect guy to own a older motorcycle you probably wouldn't be afraid of wrenches or cracking a manual and figuring out you know how to do that or this right did I tell you the story about when I went to Chicago and I, po- I picked up a motorcycle there oh yeah yeah did I tell you that story you bought it sight unseen sight unseen bought it on eBay when eBay was a brand new thing. I told you that story, right? Yeah, you did. Ended up um, going to Chicago and riding it back, but not before I spent a few days around Chicago, you know, going to the blues bars and stuff like that and the architectural tours and just taking in the city. And yeah. I love Chicago. You know, I went to the theater outside of Broadway in New York, Apparently, Chicago's like, well, they call it Second City, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Second City. And I ended up breaking down on the side of the road. It's like just about nighttime, riding along Lake Michigan. And then the bike just cut out. And I didn't know what to do. I think I had a pen light, you know? This was, uh, I think, before <laughs> smartphones. So you just had a little pen light. Luckily, there was a little battery on left. And uh, sat by the side of the road and I tried to figure out what why did the bike cut out I just bought it I think the day before I wasn't panicking because I knew that there's probably you know something there I could do with it um, and this was this was after uh, this was after uh, I took the bike to South America so I, I think if I hadn't done that trip I think in that situation I probably would have been a little bit uh, uncomfortable totally but yeah. really I was like well this is just gonna sort itself out like it always does just a matter of time and uh, anyway sure enough I, I sat by I, uh, the side of the road I'd never taken a, a cover off of it I'd never I, you know I didn't know where any of the things were on it and the, and the lights the sun's going down and I get this thing apart and I like I don't have a hot clue what's wrong is getting fuel etc and all that and um, finally, I found the fuse box, and I popped the fuse box, and one of the fuses had burned out. <clears throat> but it was dark. I couldn't even tell, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. was it certainly burned out or not? Well, once I got the light on it, and I could see that, yeah, it's broke. Okay. Now I know that. Now I know the problem, but I didn't know if it where the extra fuses were, if it, if it even had it. Right. <clears throat> So I'm like, what am I going to do? I sat there for I don't know how much longer, and then I remembered. I had bought some disposable razors for the trip, and I remember I also had, like you mentioned earlier, like in the bush, 
had a pair of nail clippers. So I got to work and I took apart that temp that travel razor and uh, took the blade out of it, <laughs> put it up against, cl clipped it to the right length. Luckily, it was it was longer than the glass right. fuse, you know. Yeah. Put it on there, just on the top. Popped it in, got seated. I think I may even wrapped it in tin foil, something like that. I don't know on on each end. I can't remember. Sure enough, the bike fired up, and then there you go. Yeah. yeah. So what a sense of relief, you know? Oh, what a totally. Sense of relief. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, fixing anything when it's broken and getting it going again, especially something like a car, an automobile, you know, that's propelling you along. You really want it. Get going. So if you can do without, you know, nothing worse than being stuck at the side of the road and you're helpless. There's nothing you can do to get that car going. You got a phone or tow truck. You know, I mean, days before you had cell phones. I mean, you. I've walked so many miles to get someone to tow me out of a ditch or call a tow truck or whatever. You know. But people would. I mean, even with everything around you, a CAA membership. No one wants to be inconvenienced by. You know any of that stuff, but that's never stopped you. You've no, no. You've always gone out and tried new things, done new things. It doesn't sound like you're afraid of much. I mean, every time I talk to you, it's a new story about what was the when you and I first met. What was that thing we used to we called it roguing? roguing. That's your phrase, roguing, roguing. You know, just yeah. going off. In no particular direction, and just but somewhere where you're not really supposed to go, but yeah. without breaking entering, but just going, slipping behind the curtain, seeing what's going on, and more than that, just observation, mm -hmm. no stealing or theft or anything. But well, after uh, Denenzi's, we went up to Cedar Creek. Remember, yeah. it's construction, and we walked past through the construction. That barricades and then we heard the security guards and so we stayed and the security guards and they were they could hear us they saw our vehicle and so they were actively pursuing us they knew we must be on site somewhere and it was all under construction we ran around we were everywhere we could hear them so we were always trying to stay like on the other side of the barrier they could see at one point when we finally walked out they were just like they must have been relieved like okay yeah saw the car now after half an hour looking for them we're Who's here? There they are. It was like a Stanley Kubrick movie. <laughs> it, I, I've never felt more Hollywood than that moment. You know, and you gave me that moment. We were roguing. That was a very, uh, very real uh, experience. The the tall plywood uh, partitions. You know, they yeah, were yeah, yeah, black. Back. Yeah, they all went into that. The light, you know, I think the is it evening dusk. I think the, the, the sun had just gone. You know, that yeah. was uh, that was a fantastic. Well, we have to find another place to roll. It's open now, so we and it's probably better to go into something that's under construction. That's or something that's abandoned. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's hard to roll in new stuff. So just quickly again, I, I wanted to get this recorded. Tell me about the wild rice going up north three months you're up there how old were you why did you go what was that all about wild rice harvesting in northern saskatchewan it was the 
Saskatchewan Department of Indian Agriculture was down in Minnesota where they grow wild rice in fields with dikes all around. They just flood the field two feet deep in water, grow rice, and then they have big treaded things. And they So basically, they were looking, Saskatchewan, like northern Manitoba, has got all these small little lakes. They're called lakes, but most of them aren't really over four feet deep, which is perfect for growing rice. You just seed it from your canoe and then you grow a whole lake full of rice. Then, then uh, the indigenous tribes there would still do the old method where they would uh, knock it into a canoe with a paddle. Uh, I mean, that's pretty labor intensive and short. And then, you know, the government said we're going to build all these airboats. So I got in on the construction of that. And then I wound up going up there for an adventure. I got invited to ask if I wanted to go work there, driving one of these airboats, harvesting wild rice. And I did, and it was fantastic. I mean, it was hard work. It was late in fall. It was cold. There's no one around. It was like an hour to get to any other civilization. So he felt kind of alone, but it was really cool. I was 21, freshly divorced. I thought, this is an adventure. This is what I need. <laughs> I do remember this. I do remember this, <clears throat> this thing. This uh, that that you you need a you you know between every chapter there's at least a page. Yeah. You know what I mean. <laughs> and it seems like you're good at knowing like okay, this is a page we need to take out of this book. You know, you want you need to you need to record it. You need to write it down, but it doesn't get part of the record in a sense. You know, like those are the things that nobody in the moment. Maybe it doesn't feel comfortable or good or stable, whatever. But it's exactly what you need. It's, it's good medicine. Yes. Up the phone.
Cause I can't 